Hi everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Real Life Oscar Challenge. What was, At, <laughs> what was that, Mike? <laughs> I don't know, what was that, Lars? You look like you were about to... It looks like you had some sort of um, trouble going on there with the, the nuts you were eating. <laughs> I was about to eat my nuts, then you went live. It's all good. <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs> Off to a roaring start here. Um, I'm Mike Levito. Um, the man with the nuts in his mouth was Lars Emerson. That's me. <laughs> and we're joined by always my sister Kathleen Levito. Hi there. Cool. Um, so yeah, I honestly thought that this podcast was going to end after we watched Secrets and Lies, but I'm glad it didn't. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we all decided. To move <laughs> we're just gonna like call it like I no. I I <laughs> too far. I, I, I foresaw, uh, like, a circumstance. Like, one, like right when that movie ended, I was like, oh, my God, they're never going to want to do this with me again. Like, this is, like, bad. But then um, this year really brought it home. Hey, this is a pretty good year, I thought. It's like this a... It was a very okay It was a solid... It, it was yeah, a I, okay. Year, yeah, you know? it was okay. It was re- it's not the best you've ever had, but it's something. It was a solid. Um, it's, nice. it's like 2016, right? Good year, a lot of bad things happened, but, like, Obama was president the whole time. Like, technically, right? You know? Sure. Okay. Um, the year in question was 1997. It was the year Princess Diana died. It was also the year the Florida Marlins shocked the world and won the World Series. Most importantly, some movies were nominated. It was the first year, actually, where none of us were born in. We were all alive. The first year we were all simultaneously alive for well, can you imagine? In 96, we were all also simultaneously alive. But not for the entire year. Oh, true that. Three quarters. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there were some movies nominated that year. Those movies were As Good As It Gets, The Full Monty, Good Will Hunting, L.A. Confidential, and Titanic. Mm. <laughs> so let's talk about them. And let's start with As Good As It Gets, which is directed by James L. Brooks. Written by Mark Andrews and James L. Brooks, starring Jack Nicholson, Helen Hunt, Greg Kinnear, Cuba Gooding Jr., Skeet Ulrich, and Shirley Knight. Uh, as good as it gets, it's a movie about Jack Nicholson playing Melvin Udall, who's this um, misanthropic and OCD uh, author living in New York, and he's just kind of like the worst dude. He's pretty racist, he's pretty sexist, he's pretty homophobic. Um, which is, and he, basically the two people he interacts with, he interacts with most in his life are his neighbor, played by Greg Kinnear, who's a gay artist, and um, the waitress who serves him at the diner he goes to every day, like clockwork, because he is OCD. Um, eventually his neighbor's uh, apartment gets broken into, and he gets, like, mugged. mugged and really brutally beaten up. So he has to take... So Jack Nicholson has to take care of Greg Kinnear's dog, which kind of softens him up and leads him to want to try and basically um, help Greg Kinnear solve his problems and get him back on his feet and also help out Helen Hunt, who is raising um, a very sick boy and also whom... Ambiguously he has, sick boy. <laughs> he's asthma. He has asthma. But they say he's dying. They say he has asthma and he's allergic to dust and... Jack Nicholson says he's dying. The whole thing of Jack Nicholson is just like kind of a rancorous asshole who exaggerates everything. Um, But it makes him want to be a better man. Yes, because he also develops romantic feelings for Helen Hunt. 
Um, Kathleen, what did you think of this movie? I like this movie, uh, for the most part. I thought it was cute. Um, I think that it's an interesting look into what motivates people. I think that, especially the idea that you can't change until you want to change yourself, um, because you see Jack Nicholson's character, Melvin, is, you know, mentions, you don't necessarily see it, but you you see that he's been, he mentions that he's been told for years that he needs to change. Some people not so nicely have told him, like his neighbor, his neighbor's agent, I think that man is. His art dealer. Art dealer. Sure. Cuba Gooding Jr. Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. Um, but it's also like his lover. It's implied. It's implied, yeah. right? But you never actually get confirmation of that. And um, he, Jack Nicholson mentions that, you know, his, his doctors tell him that if he goes on this medication, he's going to be fine. But he doesn't actually decide to change and go on medication or start treating people more kindly until he finds the inspiration to do it himself. And I think that's very, very uplifting. That being said, I had major issues with the romantic side of the story. I tend to have a lot of issues with romantic stories now that I think about it. Um, but I just... It irked me a lot. I didn't see a true romance between the two characters. I saw them as being very necessary in each other's lives um, for the emotional growth of each of them. But I just don't feel it was a healthy beginning of a relationship. And given all of the change that Melvin is going through, I don't see it progressing into a healthy relationship. Of course, we'll never see that because the movie ends. But um, yeah, that's that. That's, those are my main thoughts. Larson. Thank you, Michael. Um, <laughs> as Good As It Gets is honestly one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I actually really, really like this movie. I, it's a, it's, so it sort of brands itself and presents itself as kind of a romantic comedy. Um, but I think where it... I, I don't think it succeeds at being that. I think it succeeds as a story of, like, change and of three people who fundamentally impact each other's lives and of, like self-improvement and self-value. Um, yeah, I, I think it flourishes as like a tale of like people, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, yeah, you know, uh, I'm sure this is not the <laughs> first time someone's made this comparison, but yeah, Udall's character reminds me a lot of like Dr. House. Um, I see them as very like, something went very wrong in their lives, they're in pain, and they're a dick. <laughs> Um, but they, they ultimately, like, if not by choice, then by force, try to be better people. Um, and I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll agree that I think the romance is, like, a little weird and creepy, but I, it's, it comes off as, like, ultimately, like, sort of sweet. It's like, I, like... You know, I, I tend to personally believe people don't really change very much, but I think this is a film about change and self um, self improvement. And I, I like the scenes with him and the dog. I think are really sweet. That, those are very very sweet. And I think a lot of the stuff with Greg Kinnear's character Simon um, is really sweet as well. It's just a very like I feel like if you look past how it presents itself, it's a very like personal film, and I really like that. I would agree. Sorry, I'm no, go ahead. Michael, but I, I think if you look past the way it presents itself, I think that's so. Like, if you look past the fact that it's a romance and it was kind of built as a romance, it's a very good movie. Right. I think the romance is the weakest part of this film. Yeah, I don't Other think it's, it's. I don't think it hurts the film. Yeah. Um, I'm not convinced it like 
adds a lot, and I it allows the plot to move forward. I don't think the yeah. romance is the point. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. agree. And to me, the only thing is that it feels like it cheapens it a little bit because it's like there's so much growth that happens throughout the movie that then it kind of tries to tie it up with this, oh, we were doing it for romance kind of thing where there's so many other reasons they should be doing this and you see all the reasons they're doing it. So it felt like, oh, it's just kind of an easy ending. But otherwise, the rest of the film is just a thumbs up for me. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I kind of agree about the romance. I don't... Yeah, I... It just didn't really work for me either. Um, I, I the, the, And what I thought was so interesting too was that there is sort of like... This idea of it's like, well, why is um, Jack Nicholson basically helping pay for the health care of Helen Hunt's son? Um, and and she she literally says, like, I'm not going to sleep with you. Um, which never does happen in the movie. But um, it, it so there, there's kind of like there's this like idea of like transactional relationships in a way, kind mm-hmm. of like why it's like. If, if you are helping someone because you're expecting to get something out of it, is that really, like, a good thing? Um, but I think they're... Yeah, the idea of, like, the I want to be a better man thing, that message, I think, is is pretty well articulated. Um, and it's just sort of a... Yeah, just a guy getting thrust into having to be a good person because he has to care for the dog and his help, his heart being kind of melted by the dog. A true Grinch moment. Yeah, a true, yes. A his true heart Grinch didn't grow many sizes that day. Um, also, Jack Nicholson, I feel like, could play a pretty good Grinch. Um, I think my other problem with this was that I, the only thing that really jumps to mind when I think of Jack Nicholson is The Shining. Yeah. So to see <laughs> that in a romance is very <laughs> disconcerting. But, yeah. Yeah. He's really good in this movie, though. Yeah, no, I, I, I think everyone's actually really good in this yeah. movie. Yeah. I think it's possibly the best acted film from this year. I would um, agree. Yeah, I, I think, and I, yeah. Um, it, it's it's just, it's interesting. I like that this was nominated for Best Picture. Because mm-hmm. it does, it does feel like a rom-com. Um, and, yeah, you know, it's like the closest thing we've watched so far would definitely be the Hugh Grant Four Weddings and a Funeral. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a lot like this, where it's like, kind of once you look past it, it's actually a lot deeper than it seems. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And yeah. if you compare it to a lot of rom-coms of today, there's way more depth in this movie. Yeah. 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 What I, what kind of stands out to me is, like, Jack Nicholson and Greg Kinnear's relationship in this. Yeah. Because it's, like, Jack Nicholson, you know, he's, like, very curmudgeonly. He um, has OCD, and he, he's very... So he views himself as kind of, like, tortured and, like, all this. But... And he, and he sort of takes it out on Greg Kinnear, who lives this very, like, meaningful artistic life that's full of, like, sort of these, like parties and stuff and um but then eventually when Craig Kinnear does get physically broken his spirit is broken as well and so then he finds like kind of like a weirdly kindred spirit and finding that like seeing that sort of like you know uh misanthropy and sort of like desperation and depression like reflected in someone else kind of compels him to change but what I think is also good is that like it's not like an immediate sort of like change like, he still makes a lot of, like, sort of, like, assholey comments mm-hmm. in the meantime. Like, there's that one scene where it's, like, they're coming back from Baltimore because they had to drive because Drake going to ask his parents for money, but they end up not doing that. Um, and, and they, like, sit down, and they had to start to have this really deep conversation. They each they each have, like, a line each, and Chagos is like, all right, good talk, see you tomorrow. <laughs> he just gets up and leaves. Um, 
Yeah. That's the... If I do have one... So I can't tell if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I feel like there are a lot of times in this movie where, like, characters go somewhere to do something. They don't end up doing it. And I can't tell if that's just, like, bad writing or if that's actually, like, incredibly realistic because that, like, happens a lot. Where you kind of, like, walk somewhere with, like, out a plan or without actually, like, doing what you set out to do. What do you... What's your examples? Other than the money thing. But, like, they go there to, like, confront his parents, and his parents, like, refuse to see him because he's gay. And his parents are, like, the bad... He's, like, doing this brave thing. Right, right, right. But is that actually what happens? Because I thought he... Because he keeps trying to call them and they don't pick up. But then eventually he is on the phone with his mother. He's like, no, 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 I'm not going to come to see you. Like, no, well, his, no. His mother says, I, your father, like, don't be quiet. I don't want my father, your father to know that I'm on oh, the phone okay. with you. Um, like, the mother's cool, but and the father's not. Sort yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. She's still like, don't come by. Yeah. I'm not sure this is going to work out. Yeah, not because yeah. of her feelings, but because right. she knows the father's feelings. Yeah. 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 Um, it's about the journey. And I, and I, do, think yeah. it's, I do think it's realistic in that it's like you said, it's presenting like personal change and personal growth like slowly, mm-hmm. and like maybe that is as good as it gets. Jack mm-hmm. Nicholson's never not going to be like an asshole. Mm-hmm. It's just maybe he'll be better. That line, like her when he says like maybe this is as good as it gets, right? I feel like there right. wasn't enough gravity in the movie around that line because mm-hmm. that's like, have you ever had a point in your life where you're just like, well, this is. This is what Had it one. is. <laughs> 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 Round seven. <laughs> but like to be like that's like you know, but it, that I think that that's like a really beautiful, powerful line, and they kind of brush over it, and that hurts. And yeah, that's also realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. But I also like the other thing that stands out to me too is like there's they're driving to Baltimore, and. Um, First of all, I love Jack Nicholson's driving get-up with his driving gloves and his, like, <laughs> orange sunglasses. But um, eventually, Greg Kinnear starts to tell, like, they're like, oh, like, why, why, why haven't you seen your parents in a while? And he starts to talk, and then Helen's like, no, we need to pull over and talk about this. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about, like, their shared struggles. And Jack Nicholson's trying to, like, write it off. He's like, oh, you know, it's like, yeah, my dad would, like, rap me on the knuckles when I, like, made him say playing piano. And then he's all like, um, you know, this isn't like everybody. Like, why do we have to do this? Like, some people have really nice lives where they just hang out by the lake and eating noodle salad and that's their lives it's all the stories of like noodle salad and the great Kinnear and Helen are just like yeah no that's not it at all like you're <laughs> totally wrong so it's like this interesting sort of like refutation is that mm-hmm. a word of like sort of like very individual and like myopic resentment yeah um that's kind of powerful it's which also I have seen so much in real life too where people get like it's like having a chip on your shoulder yeah yeah and all of a sudden you think that you know you you make these grand conjectures about other people's lives never having actually lived in them so i like that scene too i also really appreciate um helen hunt what's her character's name carol carol yes i believe you're right yeah i really appreciate her character and greg Kinnear's character's relationship Mm -hmm. the fact that she's very she's very motherly i mean like she has the son like and she when he's talking to her, he's like, I need to pull over the car and talk to you. And they have, like, this, like, weird artistic moment where he's drawing all these nudes of her. Like, <laughs> That's a theme this year. <laughs> oh, it is, actually. Um, I just really appreciate their relationship because you see this, like, they're on the same wavelength. They have this, like, more fluid connection. And then you have, like, Jack Nicholson in the background. 
trying to harsh their vibe, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's... Because they all kind of, like... I think it's a good film about, like, self-loathing. Because mm-hmm. they all kind of, like, hate themselves. And, like, Jack Nicholson sort of outright says it. He's like... He thinks that he got the bad rap in life. And, like, Carol tries to say, like, I think everyone kind of feels that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think everyone has terrible stories, and they had terrible, maybe they had terrible fathers or terrible accidents. Like, everyone's got something, and they all sort of have to work past that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this movie. Yeah, you, you've all, I was initially more lukewarm on it, but I feel like you've all convinced me that it's better than I was expecting. Yeah, now that I talk about it more, I like it more. Um, I would want to watch it again, honestly. I think, honestly, I think the ending distracted me, um, which is when the romance occurs. <laughs> but I, I want to watch it again and look at more of the other stuff. Yeah. Cool. It was nominated for Best Editing, Best Comedy Score, Best Original Screenplay. Uh, Greg Kinnear was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. Mm. Helen Hunt won Best Actress. Jack Nicholson won Best Actor. Oh, very mm. good. Um, and it was, of course, nominated for Best Picture. Um, moving on to another ostensible comedy, The Full Monty, um, directed by Peter Cataneo, written by Simon Beaufoy, uh, starring Robert Carlyle, Tom Wilkinson, Mark Addy. It's the story, it's a really simple story, actually. Um, it's about these, this unemployed steelworker in Sheffield, England. Um, he's basically making a living stealing steel beams. And then he, his best friend, and his son are walking around the street and see just this massive line of women waiting to go into a male strip club. And he's all like, oh, we could do that. And so that's kind of what he does is he decides to create a stripping troupe essentially out of unemployed residents of Sheffield. And it's like their selling point is that they're going to go the full Monty. They're going to go completely nude. Um, and really the movie is just about them preparing for that. But it's also about a lot of different stuff as well, I think. Um, I'd like to believe. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I, men I, it is. To, so I, my, whole, I'll, I'll start with this because I never start with okay. them, um, kind of intentionally. But like, I was thinking about this movie, and I almost feel like of all the movies we watched for this year, if they were all like people, like this is the person you'd kind of like the most because it's like it's lighthearted and like kind of funny and doesn't take itself very seriously but it also has sort of like an eye and a nose for like more important stuff like there's a character who attempts suicide there's stuff about like body image issues there's stuff Mm -hmm. about like child custody fights um uh, there's um like homosexuality stuff about like you know just kind of like being like in a really like depressed sort of like economic and like mental state right it's like it's more intelligent than it sort of comes off that's cool yeah but at the same time i feel like it's kind of built around one joke that is no longer that funny yeah (laughs) and like a post magic mike world like the notion of regular dude stripping i think does not have the comedic juice it used to have i go ahead gavin i just want to pay you off i think it could but I think that there are too many other things in this movie that kind of date it. I think, for me at least, especially the music. Mm-hmm. Or if these men were stripping to, like, Nicki Minaj, <laughs> or I'm trying to think of a male artist. 
who would Pitbull. I think it would bring it up to date and it would be this more like you could see yourself, you know, in your bedroom dancing to this stuff, right? Mm. And would be more. And Lars is like, oh yeah. <laughs> he chokes on a nut. <laughs> but I think it could be, it's more relatable in a sense. Um, like that was my opinion not to talk about this movie, but the the remake of um, The Great Gatsby that used all like pop and rap music, where it was the idea if they had played, in my opinion, if they had played jazz, it would have been kind of kitschy and cute. But it brought it into more of like a, oh, this is relatable, I get this kind of thing. Like, I get what the vibe was supposed to be. I think that if this had updates like that, and then the clothing was different, um, and they weren't wearing like red leather thongs, but like something <laughs> more modern, it could, I think it could still hold its own. I think just like the music kind of dates it, so it's it's like, yeah, kitschy, I think is the right word. And that kind of thing. All right. Have nuts in my mouth. <laughs> I so I don't have a lot to say. I I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Like I don't think it's like a blow away like success or whatever. Um, I agree with what Mike said. The thing I disagree with what Mike said is Mike keeps putting this film in the frame of Magic Mike. <laughs> but like this film came first and seems yeah. to have like Magic Mike wouldn't exist if this hadn't. I kind of think. Uh, I don't know. I think Magic... What what I would say is I think Magic Mike makes this movie less relevant. Yeah, but I think you... you, I had no idea this movie existed until we watched it, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I don't... I, like... You know, you can't not think about Magic Mike while watching this movie. And like Magic Mike, I think this film's like... Yeah, you like it. It's Mm -hmm. kind of funny. But it's also a lot deeper than you think. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, it, it is, like, Magic Mike does sort of feel like a little more of a rip-off after, like, it's the exact, like, it's a very similar I but, but what I think the difference between Magic Mike is Magic Mike is the story about a male stripper, whereas, like, the full Monty, like, the entire joke is that they are male strippers. Like, the Magic Mike is, like, yeah, it's about a guy who's a male stripper, but, what like, it's really about sort of, like, <laughs> you know, is is what you do defines you. It's about the recession. It's about, um, it's, yeah, it's about sort of, like, the allure of, like, a sex, drugs, rock and roll lifestyle. Yeah. Whereas, like, the full Monty is about, like, um, it's, di- I'm trying to think of, like, a good comparison where it's, like, it's the difference of a movie about, like, I can't come up with a good comparison like at all, but yeah, yeah that's fine. I just, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's hard to think about them separately. Yeah, like you you have like I, like I immediately start to. To me, it'd be like the difference of making a movie about like a professional baseball player and a movie about like a schlubby dude who somehow plays professional baseball, and. One of them is kind of, like, more intriguing than the other. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have a lot to say I think they this. tackle different themes, too. No, yeah, they do. Like, I, by I no means so. trying to make the same movie. And I think Magic Mike was... Has, you know, interesting themes within it, but it was definitely marketed to get women to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, we're going to trick you into seeing these hot men take off their shirts, but then 
we're also going to deliver some sort of message where this movie is like, come laugh with us at this. Yeah. yeah. You know, you're not mm-hmm. ewing and awing. You're like here to see a movie. Yeah. Yeah. And it was nominated for best picture. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like interesting. So yeah, this movie I think at the time was like the highest grossing British film of all time. Like that's <laughs> part of the reason why it was nominated for best pictures. Cause it was just like massively successful. Um, which is interesting. And I feel like, apparently, like, no one expected it to do that well. Apparently, like, the guy who started it, like, hated making it. And, like, um, yeah. I've seen to listen to the music over and over and over again. It is, yeah. The music is funny. Because um, it's, yeah. When they're all standing at line, it's yeah. so funny. And they're all <laughs> dancing. It's good. Yeah. It is. But then the other reason I think it's not even for Best Picture, like, the one scene I was like, oh, this is why it's not even for Best Picture, is when Tom Wilkinson, who, like, was, like, their foreman at the steel mill, and he goes to uh, apply for a job, and they, like, distract him during the interview, and he gets, like, really pissed and upset, and he's like, why did you do that? Like, that job was mine. Like, I would have... And he's, like, really, really, like, upset. Um, it's like, oh, this is, like, kind of an emotion you don't see in, like, a regular comedy, right? It's like, this is, like, a very serious and, like angry man who had like a lot at stake and um could lose something and i feel like that's also kind of why i was nominated for best picture cool you guys want some nuts no i'm good we talked a lot about nuts when we were talking about this movie um this is one big freudian sleuth when we're talking about the full monty um this was it won one oscar one best comedy score um, it was nominated for... Best comedy. So, in the 90s, they divided the score awards into dr- drama and comedy slash musical because di- this was, like, the mm-hmm. peak of, like, Disney animated musicals, and so they wanted to make it fair for dramatic composers. Gotcha. Um, I think it quickly went away after this because I think they were like, why, like, would this movie win Best Dramatic <laughs> Score? The score was pretty good, though. Um, it was nominated for Original Screenplay. Peter Cadenet was nominated for Best Director, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Let's move on now to Goodwill Hunting, directed by Gus Van Sant, written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, starring Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, Robin Williams, Stellan Skarsgård, Mini Driver, and Casey Affleck. Uh, Matt Damon plays a janitor at MIT, who it turns out is secretly like super smart. Um, he's a math genius, and he solves the problems that Stellan Skarsgård puts in the hallway, the black, the like hallway blackboard. Overnight. What year is this? Um, 1997, dude. Pay attention. Um, and he, uh, but he he hangs out with like a very sort of like rough and tumble crowd in, in South <laughs> Boston. Like, ah, ah. And, and <laughs> he, he he gets into a fight and he gets arrested. And um, but Stellan Skarsgård, who's this like Fields Medal winner's professor at MIT, pulls a bunch of strings. And gets him into a deferment program where he's like, hey, you can stay to jail if you study with me every week and if you see a therapist every week. And that therapist is played by Robin Williams. And it's about, um, yeah, it's about, it's about that, their relationship, basically. And, and, and good, goodwill hunting growing up. It's nice. Kathleen, what did you think of this movie? Uh, this is the second time I saw this movie. I saw it the first time to throw it way back to the first episode we did when mm. we were talking about Pulp Fiction, and I said I saw that one in my friend Kristen's basement, and it was the first time I realized that 
other people found the things that I find beautiful, beautiful. It was the first, I also saw this movie in my friend Kristen's basement, I believe. And it was the first time that I saw a male relationship represented in the way that I've seen male relationships play out in real life, where they're like kind and supportive and that kind of thing. And so it really like, the movie stuck with me only because of that. I really didn't, I mean, I remembered him solving math problems. And I remembered him, you know, every time he yells at the, like, you know, like, you don't understand me. I, like, remembered all that stuff. But what really stuck with me was the male relationships in this movie. So that was also nice. Um, I feel like that was kind of everything I'd say. Um, um, Lars, you go, and then I'll rip off of somebody. Yeah, um... This is also, like, the second or third time I've seen this movie. It's, I think it's interesting, like, this is sort of a cop-out, how, like, much of a cliche this film has become. Well, yeah. Because it's yeah. sort of it's... seeped into, like, our conversations. And yeah. Really... It's just weird. It's, like, a weird movie to have, like, seeped into the national, like, dialogue to a point where it's, like, everyone can quote something from this movie, even if no one has actually seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Um... Like the like, the like cliche of like, oh, he's he solved the thing on the whiteboard, but he's a secret genius and he's mm-hmm. running away. Mm-hmm. But it's like, oh wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of good performances in this. Um, I'm not a huge Ben Affleck fan in general, but you know, it's, like I, I think Matt Damon's good. Um, Stellan Skarsgård always plays the exact same character in I two things I've seen him in. Damned him. Oh, I like Stellan. Oh, yeah. he's good. He always plays just like a sort of flirtatious professor. Lecherous. <laughs> yeah. The one, the scene of the movie that everyone seems to pass over is when he's at a party. And this girl comes up to him and, uh, like, goes to talk to him and he makes some pass at her. Mm. And she's just like, no, I want to know who solved the problem on the board. And then I'm like, but did no one notice that he just hit on his student? Like, that's a little creepy. Yeah. And then there's also the other scene, too, when it's funny because they're waiting outside a therapist. Because he tries to go to therapist before he gets to Robin Williams. We're outside a therapist's office. And there's, like, people out there and he's talking. He's, like, solving an equation. It's... It's almost erotic. Yeah. And it's just like, okay! It's just like, <laughs> alright, dude, like, whatever. Um, yeah. I really like this movie, actually. Um, it's good. I, so my thing with this movie is that I really, really like the script and the story. It, like, from a filmmaking perspective, it doesn't, I don't know if it does, really does anything special. Or, like, may, there's, like, maybe a sequence or two that's really well made. Um, but I... This movie, to me, is just, like, there are a lot of songs in it by Elliot Smith, and it kind of does for me what Elliot Smith's music does for me, where it's kind of this, like, warm blanket I want to, like, um, curl myself in on a rainy day, because it's, like, somewhat melancholy, but it still sounds kind of beautiful, um, and it has that sort of a quality that I really appreciate. And what I do kind of like is, like, Lars, you mentioned it was kind of cliche, and, like, yeah, definitely, like, a lot of the lines have become cliche, but what I think strikes me about this movie is how it's ne- like this isn't a movie about this isn't necessarily a movie as Lars applies lotion to his hand to stare so at me. Dry. <laughs> this isn't necessarily a movie about like oh a kid from the wrong side of the tracks um, gets the encouragement he needs to realize his full potential. 
It's actually about, like, a kid from the wrong side of the tracks sort of, like, being empowered to, like, make his own decisions Mm -hmm. and, like, break down a lot of his defense mechanisms. Because it's, like, it's sort of multi-tiered where, um, he's very, like, (laughs) Jesus Christ, (laughs) Lars. He's he's just very, um, you know, there's a scene, basically it's, like, uh, Rob Williams, there's a scene where Rob Williams says, you have to, like, the question you have to answer is, like, what do you want to do? Like, what do you want? And Matt Damon, I keep wanting to call Matt Damon Leonardo DiCaprio, too, because they have very similar haircuts yeah. in this and Titanic. Um, and he, he's like, oh, I, I want to be, like, a shepherd, you know? I want to, like, get some sheep and hang out in Nashville and all this. And Roman's like, all right, get the hell out of my office. Like, be serious, man. Um, and so you're like, oh, it's because, you know, he's not taking his life seriously. But then when he is, like, offered all these jobs by, like, you know, like, the government and by, like, a law firm or whatever, it's like, he realizes he doesn't want that either. So it's not necessarily a movie about someone being like, hey, like, you can be, like, this traditional version of successful and go do that. It's a movie about, like, hey, like, you um, are not giving yourself enough credit and, like, you like it would be a waste of your time to just like be a construction worker the rest of your life mm-hmm. but also you have to do whatever you, we have to, you have to do what you want and mm-hmm. so he gets the pressure from both like the entrenched sort of like academic side of it and also from like ben affleck who you know it's like the very famous line where he's like i keep i don't i can't say it verbatim but he's just like you know every time i come to pick you up it's the best time of the, time of my day because i keep thinking you might be gone you might be on to bigger and better things that part is good ben yeah. affleck's good mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ben Affleck is good in this movie. Um, I mean, he probably—I I get the sense he was playing himself. Yeah, but <laughs> um, Casey Affleck does very little in this movie. Yes, but is also. I like I like how Ben Affleck wrote this movie and then gave his little brother the role of like the guy who everyone makes fun of, and he was kind of like a dope and like a weirdo. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's well put. Mm-hmm. I think you're, yeah. And I also think that, like you said, the, like the realistic representation of, I think a lot, like, one thing I've noticed with some of these movies we've watched is that, like, they're, like, I think specifically of, like, Jerry Maguire, like, I kind of hated the dialogue in Jerry Maguire, mm-hmm. and it felt very movie-ish. I feel like there are lots of movie-ish lines in this, but I also feel like, like, there are little moments where it's, like, they're hanging out at the bar or whatever, and it's very... It just feels a little more realistic, and, like, the the way they also use, like, they, it's, like, it, a lot of the dialogue is built around telling stories and telling jokes, which I think is a very interesting kind of thing. And I don't really have a theory about it, it's just, like, a, how important, like, that is to, like, relating to people and, like, mm-hmm. getting a message out there, which might also be a crutch in script writing when you can't actually write things, so you have people say them instead, but... Anyway, I now that we're at this point that we can do this, I, this oh. film. <laughs> ooh, this this. What film, are you planning to do with your with, with your lotioned up hands, Lars? <laughs> like, <laughs> so um, it's like this. This film is very much, and this is sort of why I also wouldn't pick Schindler's List. Schindler's List. <laughs> not sorry, not Schindler's List. Uh, Shawshank. Yes. Four, four episodes back, Shawshank. Um, it's very much the internet's choice is how I feel about this movie. It's like, this is the movie that like Reddit 
thinks should have won Best Picture this year. And that doesn't mean it's not good. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's the it's cliche for like the one that's like, oh, this one should have won. Uh, yeah. That's fine. It, maybe it should have won. Um, probably should have won over what did win. Fun fact, it's actually not the movie Letterbox thinks should have won. What does what Letterbox think? I like Confidential. Interesting. Well, I look forward to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think this, it's it is, but it does like it and Schindler's List are very much Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank, goddamn. Um, I, I feel about them sort of the same way. Movies that are like maybe just not for me, mm-hmm. but I appreciate that it could be the best movie of the year. I see. Yeah, how no, no, I, I no, I yeah, yeah no, yeah. I, I totally get that. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 No okay. one dislikes this movie. Is kind of what I'm saying. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a, it's a pretty likable movie. There's I a think. popular consensus to it. Yeah, yeah. Unlike a lot it's of like mac movies. and cheese, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah. It was nominated for best editing, best dramatic score. Uh, Miss Misery by Elliot Smith was nominated for best original song. I cannot say I'm an Elliot Smith fan. I must admit. I like. I like Elliot Smith, but I also can only, like, name five of his songs. Like, Between the Bars is actually, I think, one of my favorite songs of all time. Interesting. It's, and I think it's, like, one of the best songs ever written about alcoholism of all time. Um, How about Sober by Danny Lovato? <laughs> I can't say I've ever heard it. It's about, or, like, heroin. <laughs> drank by Kendrick. The song's called Swimming Pools. Um, Parentheses, drank, Mike. <laughs> Um, anyway go listen to Between the Bars Um, it won Best Original Screenplay Uh, Minnie Driver was nominated for Best Supporting Actress I think she should have won Um, Mike likes her Yeah, she's pretty (laughs) Um, Robin Williams won Best Supporting Actor Matt Damon won Best Actor no, did not win Best Actor. Was nominated. Legendary French actor Matt Damon No! Uh, Gus Van Zandt was nominated for Director and Best Picture was nominated for, of course. Cool. Let's move on to L.A. Confidential, a movie I know is all fresh in our minds. Um, pop, pop. It is a, uh, it's about basically like three different cops in Los Angeles in the late 40s, early 50s. Um, and yes. there's Russell Crowe, who's like um, a cop who's like somewhat of a renegade. Thickest cop. I hated his haircut in this movie. He looked kind of like a Nazi. Um, not a Nazi. He just looked like a. He looked like a corrupt cop, which is what he was basically. Well, he wasn't corrupt. Too soon. But basically, what he he he's a, he's a cop who's like very rough and tumble and just kind of like really likes taking the law in his own hands and like beating up people who beat up women, which is a cool thing. But like also police brutality. Um, then there's Guy Pierce, who's like very by the book, straight laced, the son of like a hero cop. He's a woke boy, yes. Um, and then there's Kevin Spacey, Boo. who um, is like kind of like a Hollywood cop. He's a technical like consultant on this TV show, and he. Oh yeah, he was the bad guy. Just like in real life, he's the bad guy. No, and so but like he he's in kind of cahoots with this gossip columnist. Who like yes, they sort yes, of like yes. like he he'll who played by what is this Danny DeVito. Danny I forgot DeVito. to name the Good the crew Lord. and the cast of this movie. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it was directed by Curtis Hansen, 
written by Brian Helgeland and Curtis Hansen. Yeah, Kevin Spacey, Russell Crowe, Guy Pierce, Danny DeVito. Um, and, and Kim Basinger. It's always a joy to see Danny DeVito in things that isn't It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I find it very hard for me to take him seriously. <laughs> That's why. It's so interesting. Um, and so basically what happens is there's this massacre at a diner. Um, a cop who had just been fired for police brutality is among the dead. There's a big investigation into it. The case is eventually closed, but these three cops have some lingering suspicions about what actually happened, and so they investigate and unveil unveil a conspiracy. What did you think, Lars? So, from what I do remember, I was I like took melatonin halfway through this film. <laughs> it was a bad decision because I almost fell asleep. Um, I think this was the coolest looking film. Yeah, like yeah. it was like stylistically very pleasing, and like. Maybe the best made of all of them? Like, I'm not convinced any of the other ones we saw, except maybe Titanic were, like, advances in film. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like, a cool movie. I just, like, didn't really get into it at any point. Um, it's, like, I guess I was rooting for Russell Crowe at one point, but honestly, now that you mentioned that he's evil, maybe I wasn't. He's not evil. Or he's not you evil. You mentioned that he's, problem, he's a problematic He's an anti-hero. Baby. He's an anti-hero. Okay, well. I, yeah, I, I really didn't... I knew not to root for Kevin Spacey, because he's a bad guy in real life. And, like, Guy Pierce, I don't like. <laughs> he doesn't do much for me. Um, he has weird cheekbones. He does. He's an interesting one. Looks like guy. he has, like, gills. Okay. <laughs> he does. Whoa! So, I just think yeah. that's what he looks like. Whoa! I think he's a fine actor. He's but... no Ray Fiennes. <laughs> um... Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't honestly have a lot to say. Um, I think it's interesting that this is Letterboxd's favorite film of the year. It's, it's very well made. Like this, if I were going exclusively on like filmmaking, this would win. Hmm. I think hands down. Like honestly, I was not impressed by like the filming or cinematography on anything except like this in Titanic. Um. There's a style to this that I think is really cool. And it's like, yeah, it's like a period piece. It's nice. Yeah. Kathleen? Yes. Um, what year was this supposed to be set in? Uh, not, it, something? Wikipedia says in the early 1950s. Okay, cool. So the, did we watch anything set in the 1950s last year? Uh, Shawshank takes place from like the 40s to the 60s. Oh, no, for last year? Yeah. Uh... I don't even know maybe I was thinking about this film because maybe I said this to you guys already but like anything said in this time period I'm going to love the English patient yeah. was in the <laughs> 30s <laughs> yeah. I don't know I'm just I think, I think it was this movie I think it was about. this movie I, anything said in this time period I'm going to love I'm going to think it's the most beautiful costumes the most beautiful color schemes typically there was something but maybe it was a different was movie was it a quiz show it wasn't quite English, show. Oh, I already said that. It was something because the color scheme was different than I want, was expecting it to be. Maybe watch this movie. Shine. I think it was this... Fargo. I think it was this movie. Okay, I think, I'm, I'll just say it. Apollo 13? Babe, it was babe. Brave hot. <laughs> I'm going to say it was this movie. Il Postino um, the Postman. Okay. Um. Sensibility. <laughs> Moving forward. Um, I... So, yeah. Just... I, aesthetically, I was going to like this the best, no matter what. That being said, I couldn't follow it for the life of me. 
And this is not like a, the movie's fault. This is a, I get confused with storylines fault. And I'm thinking about this now. I like to read nonfiction books and I think it's because they're easier to follow than like fiction where you have to construct a whole story. Mm-hmm. In my mind, at least I like to read memoirs. Um, so I'm realizing this now that I just get lost in details and I don't like it when there's a lot of characters whose stories cross lines because I just don't like Fargo. I couldn't keep track of Fargo. Um, even though it's a very straightforward plot. It's not that straightforward. Um, no, I think you're, I think that's fair for this one. Yeah. No, no, it's like, definitely it, fair. It lost, it lost yeah. me for a And while. I especially, yeah. cause as much as I love the whole 1950s thing, it does kind of make, put everything on the same plane where it's like, Oh, it's retro. It's they're all wearing this style of suit. Their haircut all looks like this, so it gets like harder to differentiate people. Yeah. Um, especially because then like multiple characters are involved with the same character, and mm-hmm. then it just gets hard. Um, so I think I agree with Lars that like aesthetically, this movie was fabulous. I think it was really beautiful. Um, but the I, I didn't have any takeaways from the story. I didn't yeah. like, learn anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't. It didn't make me think about anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think this definitely feels more of like a pastiche and sort of like a an homage to sort of like the fifties than like it's trying than it, like an evocation of the fifties, right? Like I feel like they weren't necessarily going for like literally like this is what it was like to live in Los Angeles in nineteen fifty five so much as like this is sort of like the public's imagining of Los Angeles in nineteen. Which is fair because they have there's this these this set of um, prostitutes who are all made over to look like celebrities. Mm-hmm. So that is a thing like this this I don't know how I would say it, but like just kind of the imagined belief of what life is, what life should be, mm-hmm. the playing into fantasies kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the one prostitute that everyone falls in love with Ugh. is all natural <laughs> except like her hair or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, of course you are, honey. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a thing, too. Like, it takes, like, the hooker of the heart of gold thing. Like, it takes a lot of cliches and tries to turn them into, like, this thing. Yeah, I was... This is, like, the kind of movie I should be really into. But it, yeah, it left me, like, a smidge cold. And I, like, yeah, I I had a tough time getting into it. It's long. It's long, and it, like, meanders. Because it's, like, the whole thing is that you have these three different cops, and eventually they all kind of, like, hey, something fishy's going on. We should help each other figure out what's going on. That really doesn't happen until, like, an hour and a half in, if that. Like, probably goes to, like, two hours in. Um, So it... Everything happens in the last half hour. Yeah. It takes a long time to, like, kind of get off the ground, I feel like. Um, But, yeah, like, yeah, I think the cinematography is really beautiful. Like, that scene where Guy Pierce like, chases the... The, he's got, like, the shotgun, and he's, like, running up the stairs. It's, like, it's so, like, he looks like he's floating up the stairs while he's, like, holding a shotgun. It's actually just, like, really beautiful. And then there's, like, this one, like, the climactic shootout I thought was really cool as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. The one thing I do find kind of interesting in this movie is, like, in the context of the time, is that it came out in 1997, which was, like, uh, six-ish years after Rodney King... It was three years after, like, the O.J. Simpson trial when, like, Los Angeles and the Los Angeles Police Department was put on, like, a really harsh spotlight. And it was sort of, like, considered very sort of, like, corrupt and racist. And that's also kind of what this movie's about. So I, th- I think it's it's really interesting to think about in that light where you take 
the fifties was just considered this very sort of, um, you know, an era of conformity and of, of, of like rule following. And, but it's like, actually it shows you kind of like the seedy underbelly of that. And it's like, maybe, you know, we're not that far removed from an era where sort of like the cops were basically just gangsters with badges. Yeah. Um, which I thought was, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, I think that in lieu of that, I I really like the score too. Um, it's got like big like kettle drums pounding and lots of other noiry stuff. But yeah, I I think a little underwhelmed story wise. And like there are also parts of this movie where I think it just it it felt like they were trying to inject like a '90s action movie into it. And like Russell Crowe's character, like he gets so angry at Danny DeVito that he, like he tears off this chair that's bolted to the ground, and when he's like dangling that guy outside of like a window. It's like, all right, this is like a it's little too much. Da right? He tries to throw up. The yeah, guy. yeah. yeah. He's um, the big guy. It's all coming back to. Me. I love he's the he's guy. the cop. He's he's oh, the police yeah. chief who it turns out. Yeah, spoiler yeah. alert! It turns out is behind like all these murders and is basically trying to. Because it starts out. Do this to us, farmer. Hoggett. Hoggett. <laughs> Hog, because of the pig. Um, uh, what? what? <laughs> Babe, oh, been nominated oh, three years in a row. Only, t- only took us three episodes <laughs> to figure that one out. Um, yeah, so this movie, I feel like it's it's kind of sprawling, but also too sprawling. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not as like I get why Letterbox likes it because like. The plot is 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 complicated and like it's yeah it, it's very focused on being sort of like cool, um, but yeah I I was yeah a touch underwhelmed and also Kim Basinger no reason she would have won she should have won an Oscar which she did like I I did not understand no, no, that at all. I'm going to be physically ill. <laughs> yeah, because Minnie Driver definitely <laughs> should have won, right? No. <laughs> Who? <laughs> well, she should. Um, uh, nominated for Best Editing, Cinematography, Art Direction, Sound, Dramatic Score. It won Adapted Screenplay, Supporting Actress Kim Basinger. Curtis Hansen was nominated for Director. It was nominated for Best Picture. All right. All right. The big one. The big one. <laughs> the, the full Monty. Oh, no. <laughs> the moment you've all been waiting for. Titanic. Directed Woo. by James Cameron. Written by... You'll never guess this. James Cameron. <laughs> And starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet, Twin Peaks is Billy Zane, yes! <laughs> Kathy Bates, Bill Paxton, and Gloria Stewart. Um, what's Titanic about? Basically, um, <laughs> really, isn't it? It's about? it's it's a, it's it's, it's, a, it's like a three-hour movie all told through a <laughs> framing device, which is kind of interesting. Um, How long is this movie? Three hours. I, I, that, it's, it is one hundred and ninety-five minutes. Oh, it's over three. Yeah, it's three hours and like fifteen minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um, thirteen minutes, whatever. Um, yeah, so it's it's about um, these people are, are searching the Titanic wreck, looking for a necklace called the Heart of the Ocean, um, a uh, heart, of the sea. heart of the Sea. Whatever. God damn. This this old woman sees it on TV. She's like, "Oh, I I, I know what happened to that necklace." And she's telling them the story of how she was this wealthy society girl from Philadelphia who was betrothed to Billy Zane, who was a wealthy society man from New York. And they got on the Titanic, and she ended up meeting Jack Dawson, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who was this, like, ragamuffin um, from, like, Wisconsin or something. Ragamuffin! <laughs> what is that? And they, they start this forbidden love affair, 
and this unsinkable ship ends up hitting an iceberg and begins to sink, and a lot of people die. <laughs> um, so I can't. How did they come up with this premise? That's right? That's wild. That's wild. Um, who wants to go first? You got it, Mike. So my thing with this movie <laughs> is that. The second half, when we were watching it, it was it was split up into like two DVDs. That was crazy. <laughs> I almost freaked out when it was like insert second disc. I was like, "Whoa, what year is James what Cameron? So so ahead of his time, James Cameron." Um, <laughs> between that and Avatar, just two technologies no one anticipated. <laughs> the second, like the second half of this movie where the ship is actually sinking, is amazing. It is like it. Cool. It, it is a. Te- I, I actually use this word after we're done watching. It's a technical marvel. It's like really cool and it's really harrowing. It's terrifying. Like it becomes like this. Re- it becomes like a horror movie, basically. Um, it becomes like about mortality, man. Yeah. It's like everyone knows they have like two hours to live and they all like have to face it in different ways. Yeah. It's cool. That being said, literally cool. this is that that takes up well, like an hour of the movie. You have to sit through two hours of the worst dialogue you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, to get to that, it's like an hour and a half. An hour, it takes like an hour and a half of the movie. the 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 first half of this movie is just not good. It's, no, it's, it's not. It is. It is some of. It is very poorly scripted epic romance set on a ship, um, and I, I think. The, the like the way the story of like the romance progresses, I don't think there's anything in, entirely like wrong with it. Like I don't think the story itself is flawed mm-hmm. necessarily. I think the notion that we want to watch like two hours of it when we're all here to see a giant ship sink is kind of flawed. <laughs> and I think the note like it's just like the the like Leonardo. I like Leonardo DiCaprio. I can't tell if he's bad in this movie or his lines are just. One, his hair. <laughs> Two, his lines. It's, yeah. It's a poorly written film. It, it It is just so... It's like James Cameron writes incredibly earnest movies, and I feel like the earnestness kind of hurts it at the beginning. And it's just... It's not great. Anyway, what are we going to say, Kathleen? So I saw this movie with my friend Kristen. The same year that I saw all these other movies. <laughs> Were you doing a podcast about all these best picture winners of your lifetimes during that time? I'm ahead too? of the game, yeah. Um, not in her basement, someone else's basement. But I was like, eighth grade, too cool for school. I went into it not wanting to like this movie because I wasn't going to believe in this epic sob story romance because, you know, I didn't believe in love. Still don't. But, you know, you know how it is. No, I, lo- I believe in love. But, you know, like, I was... You guys, you don't know how I was in 8th grade, Lars, but Michael does. Yes. And I was, I wasn't going to, like, I wasn't going to, like, love what everybody else loved. You fancied yourself a nonconformist. Yes. So, um. Whoa. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you missed some really tense years there, <laughs> Lars. Um. So, going into it this time, I was like, alright, like, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to watch this movie. I'm not going to, like, carry the same stigma that I carried the first time. I'm going to see if it's an actually decent movie. First scene, like, the first two lines to come out of someone's mouth, I was like, no, shutting down. I cannot. And I thought maybe it was just going to be the um, current day portion that I was going to hate because it just felt weird and contrived and forced. I thought maybe, like, the actual epic story of it was going to carry it. It didn't. 
It didn't. And then I do love the boat sinking scene. It was a marvel, truly. But the story that occurs beyond the facing with mortality part of it, like the actual like storyline section of that, was just so drawn out. And, like, they're on a sinking boat, and Billy Zane is shooting at them. It's like... It's so bad. It's like one... One death sentence at a time, please. <laughs> it's just like... And they keep on going to the, the hull of the ship, where it keeps on getting filled with water, and every time they go down there, they're surprised that there's water in the ship. And... <laughs> I don't... I was just... Oh, God. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> it got, like, I marveled at it for 15 minutes, and then I'm like, okay, sink now, please. Sink. Please sink. Please. We'll, we'll, get, to you, we'll get to your five-star review now, Lars. <laughs> I found this, so I think I liked it the most of the three <laughs> of us. I found it serviceable. Okay. okay. It's, not, it's not a bad movie. There's, like, a lot I wish wasn't. It's just, like, the lines are bad. <laughs> the lines are bad. The acting's not always good because the lines are bad. Um, the story's bad. <laughs> Wait a minute. Um, no, it's, it's, it's fine. I think it's fine. Um, did it deserve to win Best Picture? No. It's, yeah, the last, the last hour of the film are pretty, is pretty gripping, and I, I, liked, I liked that. And I don't hate the, like, modern-day stuff. I don't like the old lady. She scares me. And she, yeah, (laughs) capital she threw away. That could have like fed an entire nation. She became friends with the man whose life goal was to achieve that necklace. She couldn't give that to him. She had to take this all for herself. She lived like a hundred freaking years and she couldn't use one of those days to do something for someone else. God damn it. Also, it's Billy Zane's necklace, not hers. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> Billy Zane's also a dick. Yeah, but you can't steal from dicks, unfortunately. Well, fortunately. two wrongs don't make a yeah. right. Um, yeah, this is. Billy like, Zane gave it to her. He put it in, the, in her. He well, made, no, he planted it in Leo's coat. Yeah. So it's his fault. But then, no, but it's then his Billy. Fault. Yeah. Well, Billy Zane. Puts it in his coat, thinking that he's going to take it. And then he has a change of heart at the end of the movie and gives his coat to Rose because she's cold. And then he realizes when he's on the lifeboat, like... Yeah. Sad. Sad. The romance story doesn't, like, grip me. I think it's fine. It's fine. The... What does... What I think is the most gripping parts of this movie is what it's actually about. The Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like the like qualms of morality. And it's like they don't I don't like I'd love to see a version of this movie that like wasn't about a love story, it was about like just people I, Christopher Nolan's Titanic. Yeah, it'd be like I guess about that. Yeah, Chris yeah, like about the like people in the boat at different levels. I'm not convinced it'd be good. I, I think it's hard. <laughs> I think it's I, I think it's hard to do a movie about the Titanic, especially now. Um, yeah, I don't like disaster movies in general. Yeah. So like, yeah. But yeah, I think that like the, the discussions of morality, it's like who gets to go on the boats, like what a failure of mankind. Oops. Mm-hmm. And like, and I, I, I remember like having this thought constantly throughout the movie and I told you guys this afterwards, but I like could not stop thinking of 9-11 through like this entire movie because it's like the audience goes into it um, and they, it's like any 9-11 movie. It's like the audience knows what's about to happen. They know how this, how this ends. Um, and they like prepare for this tragedy. 
And then it's like tragedy on a scale that you were not prepared for. And it's like people are like throwing themselves off the boat to like try and live and they end up dying. And it's like you see just like a grave of frozen people. And it's like very disturbing. Um, as Yeah, it's like, I, I don't know. I thought it was a very... I thought it worked in that way a lot yeah. better than it worked in any other way. And, like, I really liked those parts, even though... Because they, like, left you with an actual emotional impact. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I'm flying, Jack. It was, like... That was flat. That was very flat for me. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you, I have to bring this up because everyone who ever talks about the Titanic brings this up. It is no not could Jack fit on the floating thing. Um, but it is... Do you think if they were to have survived, their relationship would have lasted? That's a good question. I don't think it's important at all, but everyone always brings it up because everyone's like, well, Rose would have just seen what the slums he lives in and would have run back to her rich family. Like, you don't know that. But also, maybe. Billy Zane lived at the end. Yeah. But he kills himself (laughs) on, like, Black Tuesday. Oh, Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Old Lady Rose does mention that. Uh, to answer your first question, no, Jack would not fit on the wood. That's not how yeah. boats work. That's not how you put f- enough weight on the boat and it's Same. like it's, that's yeah. not how it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People, people are annoying. I agree. Um, I I don't would it have so yeah I don't know maybe it would have. It's it's like the whole thing is that you, you kind of see as um, <laughs> I don't know why I find this so funny because it really is not funny at all. But when old Lady Rose is, like, lying in her bed, and people don't know if she dies or not, I think that's hilarious for some reason. <laughs> and people are like, there's theories that say, like, oh, this is, like, her dying thought. And others are like, oh, she's just dreaming. I don't know why I think that's hilarious. <laughs> but, um, but you see all these pictures of, like, her having these various adventures because Jack says something like, live every day like it counts or something cliche like that. Um, so I, I think James Cameron thinks the relationship would have mm-hmm. would have lasted. Um I, I don't know. I don't know that it matters. It doesn't. <laughs> like, it's like it, it, it doesn't interests me very little. But that's what everyone gets hung up on with this movie. Not the boat part. Not the boat part. It's, a tragedy. it's always what Jack would have fit. Like Rose, you're a selfish bitch, which we learn later with the necklace. But for not letting him on the the wood, and then two is what their relationship lasted. Um, I don't care. I, yeah. Oh, I also have to just say, like as. The trope with women is always, like, from the upper class. Wow, I'm so bored with my life. I want to slum it. Like, (laughs) just... I mean, she is suicidal. I'll give her that. But I don't know. It was just, like, a lazy... Was she what? She was suicidal. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It was just, like, (laughs) kind of lazy writing, in my opinion, to have this, like, so starkly just jaded character. It needed Alan Rickman, for sure. Yeah, for shizzle. The Titanic. Oh no! <laughs> We've struck an iceberg. Oh no! We're sinking. Play near my god to thee. Um, yeah. The musicians were the dopest characters. Yeah, I thought that was they're so cliche also, too. But actually happened. Oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, that's why it's cliche. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's just yeah. It, it is like yeah, an amazing. T- it's. I think it's funny that James Cameron made this movie because it's a movie about like amazing hubris and like being struck down by like the forces of nature. And I feel like James Cameron is just like a walking embodiment of like amazing hubris. 
And he hasn't been struck down by the forces of nature yet. But, like, it just, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I almost, well, I don't know. They were definitely more I like. I wish he was on the Titanic. No, no, no. <laughs> There was, there was probably more deliberate malfeasance on the part of, like, the White Star Line than any malfeasance in James Cameron's life, but, um, yeah. Yeah. So, it just, yeah. Yeah. I don't think it deserves a lot of hate. I don't think it deserves a lot of prints. Yeah. It was a movie. It's serviceable. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it stands out to me as, I think it's a movie that definitely couldn't be made now. Hmm. I think partly because I don't know that a studio is going to put down as much money as it would take to make this as a studio, as whatever studio that did make this did. Like a movie like this. Um, and just the intense earnestness of it, which I feel like is kind of the hallmark of James Cameron. Like, I just think of the scene where Kate Winslet gets the axe to break Leonardo DiCaprio's shackles and... Leonardo DiCaprio just like practice before you swing the axe at me, which is just like not a thing I could see happening in a movie nowadays. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Um, this movie set a record not only at the box office, but it tied a record at the Academy Awards uh, for most awards won in a single ceremony. It but won. It does not still currently happen. No, it still does. Oh. It is this Ben Hur and Lord of the Rings Return of the King hold the record. It won Best Visual Effects, Best Editing. Best costume design was not made for makeup. One best cinematography, art direction, sound, sound effects editing, dramatic score, original song for Celine Dion's "My Heart Will Go On." Shoot me now. Um, <laughs> Full title. My go on yeah, so I think too. Like, there's no Celine Dion song being written for like a, a, a movie nowadays. Um, Gloria Stork, who plays Old Rose, was nominated for best supporting actress. Dumb. That's dumb. Kate Winslet was nominated for best actress. That's uh, James Cameron won Best Director and won Best Picture. You're, you were going to say she's fine. Kate Winslet, I think, yes, of all fine. the actors, she did the yeah. most. The, yeah. <laughs> she tried hard. It's, there, there, there are three actors in this movie who had either won an Oscar by this point or go on to win an Oscar, and James Cameron makes them all look not great. Billy Zane. No. no. <laughs> Kathy Bates, Leo, and then Kate Winslet. Kathy Bates, I think, is good. Of, like, the, but of the big three actors, like Billy Zane, Leo, and Kate Winslet, Kate Winslet's the only one that like does it for me. From an acting standpoint. <laughs> Billy Zane, though. Billy Zane does it for me. <laughs> I actually think Billy Zane's fine. I think he's good. <laughs> he plays his role well. I think he has the least <laughs> dumb lines, so it's... Yeah, he's yeah. unnecessarily evil, though. It's, like, not a yeah, very realistic comical. character. Yeah. When he, like, flips over the table... <laughs> But that, but it's a metaphor for the Titanic being flipped <laughs> over. Whoa. Um, cool. All right. So, 1997 just passed. The year is now 1998. You are a voting member of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Uh, you get a ballot that has listed for Best Picture, as good as it gets, The Full Monty, Goodwill Hunting, L.A. Confidential, Titanic, what do you give the award to Kathleen? As does it gets. Why? I think um, it was just the best in terms of, I think, writing, in terms of acting, in terms of storyline. Cinematically, I don't think it's anything impressive, but it had a consistent color scheme, which is all I really noticed, so it was nice. Um, I think a consistent, I think... But by color scheme, I mean, like, it framed certain characters in certain scenes, which I think was nice. Um, so, yeah, for those reasons. Okay. Lars? 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna say the same. I, I also think it's as good as it gets, but I, I have a couple caveats. <laughs> I, the the um the way I, I I've always looked at movies is like there's baseline. Is it a good movie? And then it's like, did this have an impact on my life? Mm-hmm. And not to get too personal, but like at the time in my life when I saw as good as it gets, like I was suffering from OCD. I was having a really hard time, and like this movie like really helped. And it was like a good movie to like sort of teach people to to, to teach me and like make me think oh maybe I can be better maybe there is maybe this is as good as it gets but maybe like there's a way out hmm. um, and I, I don't know this movie's always like stuck it's stuck with me for like years for that reason like I probably first saw it when I was 10 um, yeah it doesn't do a lot cinema, like in a cinema cinematic standpoint um, it's well written the characters are good it's well acted like it makes me feel something and I guess that's where I'm going it's like it goes 80% it's a good movie and then it goes the extra mile to be like I feel feelings it had an impact Mike cool yeah I there was no like clear runaway winner for me this uh year like on some level I do kind of like it's almost like well like I get why Titanic won and because it was like a cinematic feat and so it's like eh you know and I do think it's like deserving of all like the technical awards it won um there's all a postal part of me where it's like I feel like LA Confidential is like the sort of like this sort of best like stitched together movie of these all. But I think I'm gonna go with Goodwill Hunting just because it's my favorite of the movies that was nominated this year. And that's kind of my only reasoning. Um there was this blog I was reading and this guy was saying that when he because he he like watches all the not best nominate, like he watches like so he watches all the Best Picture nominees, all the Best Director nominees, all the Actor, Actress, and then Screenplay nominees as well. Jeez. And then when he has a year done, he does like a poster where he's like, I'm going to, you know, this is what I think should have won. He like ranks them. And he says that like he, Best Director should go to the person who tells the story the best, but Best Picture should go to the Best Story. And for me, at least, I think Goodwill Hunting is like the Best Story. So that's what I'm going with here. I don't always agree with that guy's reasoning in that regard, but... That's, that's the logic I'm using to make that decision. Um, but I must say, my favorite movie of 1997 was not actually nominated for Best Picture. No. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that movie was Boogie Nights, um, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, um, about the boom years of the porno- por- pornography industry. It's a really good movie. It's basically about like the, the hijacking of like the sexual revolution and of like just like... The, the this and it's about sort of like uh, the that um, it's about like capitalism and about like uh, unlimited growth and all that. It's just a really fascinating look into like the American psyche, and it's just really well made. Also, Jackie Brown came out. Um, Men in Black. Men in Black, Men and Black also Wag the Dog is a pretty good movie um, too. And Hercules. Princess Mononoke also came out. I, a good I've movie. never seen it. What about you, Lars? Anything that stands out? Men, Men in Black and Jackie Brown, uh, for sure. Uh, Starship Troopers. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was not made for Oscars. It, really? Like, technical awards. Nice. It's a great movie. Not, it's like, I, I'm trying to think. I also like Air Force One. I would not, <laughs> I would not have nominated it. I just want to say that. <laughs> what about you, Kathleen? Uh, I, the only movie I've seen is Hercules, which I think could be nominated for a soundtrack, so... 
I think it was nominated. It the ones a few songs are like nominated for best original. I'll give it that. Also, I'll go ahead. Even with like Men in Black or Jackie Brown, I still think as good as it gets would have won for me. Okay. Yeah, I still like. I think as good as it gets is hands down my favorite film from this year. Cool. Yes. Would you say Boogie Nights? Yeah, yeah, definitely Boogie Nights. Also, fun fact: Hercules would also is also starring Danny DeVito. So <laughs> he voices Phil. Oh, whoa! Look at that. Yeah. Cool. Um, good episode, guys. We did it. We did. We, it. we did 1997. 1998 is up next. What are we looking forward to? Oh, wait till you just hear. It is Elizabeth. Yeah. Oh, no. Life is beautiful. Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Shakespeare in Love and The Thin Red Line all of those movies either take place during the reign of Elizabeth I or World War II it's going to be a really depressing it is going to be a really heavy (laughs) weaker month or however long it takes to watch these movies yeah (sighs) okay anyway I'm Mike I'm excited for Elizabeth you are? okay yeah I am cool anyway sorry yeah no it's fine (laughs) oh yeah I'm the costumes I, and the makeup, I, I'm really jealous yeah, for that. This is actually maybe the year I'm the least excited for, just because I, I've seen Saving Private Ryan already, and it's, it's a it's, it's a great movie. Seen. It is. I haven't seen any of these. No, I saw Life is Beautiful. Yeah. All right, anyway. Big Lebowski wasn't nominated? No, there's no way that would get nominated. I, I love that movie, but there's just, no way uh, The Truman Show. Armageddon. The Truman Show was 1998. Yeah. That movie screwed me up so I love much. That movie. We can talk about That's that. That's what it should have won. <laughs> it was nominated for Best Director. Um, anyway, my name's Mike Levito. I'm on Letterboxd as a Maramike. I'm on Twitter as at MLevito. Nerd. <laughs> I'm Lars. I'm on Letterboxd at Lars Emerson. I'm Kathleen. I'm at Letterboxd at Kathleen Levito. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Real Life Oscar podcast. Uh, hope you enjoyed listening. Hope you're watching along with us and joining in on the fun. And uh, don't let the icebergs bite. I ate half of the thing of nuts. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel very good. Oh, man. You had to do in the episode about male strippers, too. <laughs> I know.